Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. So I wanted to just uh, say a few things tonight about letting go because it came up on the retreat and my mind was on that subject ever since. And one of the things that came up on the retreat and I don't know if I've, God, it's been a few years since I've given a big formal talk on this, but it's such a good reminder when someone asks, what is it to let go? Oh man, such a good question. There's so, my mind just loves to chew on that. It's such a, it's such a big Dharma question. Um, so I thought I'd just give some perspectives today on, on letting go and what it means and, and why it's important in the Dharma. And uh, we'll see over the next few weeks, there's a couple different things we like to do with, with this concept, but uh, it just... I came away from the retreat still thinking about it, and I was like, oh, we should just talk about this again a little bit. The reason I think it's important to, to bring it up is I think as teachers and as students, you know, it's really easy to say, just let go. I mean, come on, like, it's, <laughs> what else do you need to know? It's just two, three words, let, let go, two words, right? Like, it's like, how more complicated can it be? Just like, let go. Uh, has anyone... This is somewhat tangential, but has anyone seen that comic uh, video segment where the client comes into the psychologist's office and the, the, the psychologist just keeps saying, stop it? No matter what they say, like, I've got this problem, stop it. They, and all they say to them is stop it, and they start yelling at them to stop doing the behavior. So I think sometimes that's kind of how it feels with mindfulness. We have all these tools and techniques, but then we're like, but that letting go thing, what is that exactly? Like, how do I actually do the letting go? Because it's not easy. To, you can't just stop things. It's like, this doesn't work that way. So I always think of that skit uh, when talking about letting go. But I just give me, I'll give you a little background on this and um, just some perspectives I like to offer about why this is so challenging. One of the things I always like to remind us of when we talk about letting go is that the Pali word, nikama, to renunciate or to let go, to abandon. Originally, and, and, and to, to today as well, but originally really referred to when monastics took robes and let go of the world and went off to go forth. That was kind of like where this idea of letting go. The first thing that the students of the Buddha did was let go of the world, right? It's like, this is the world and we're going to go and spend our life in practice. So letting go has this bigger thing, especially for the monastics, where the taking of robes is called going forth but it is, refers to as like letting go. It's, it's the letting go. And renunciation kind of has a negative connotation because it has that religiosity to it that a lot of us are familiar with. And so, so we often say letting go because it's a little bit softer. But the term renunciation refers to both the, the monastics going forth away from the world to practice um, meditation, but it also refers to the pleasure of the practice. The letting go that takes place when we sit in practice and let go into presence. It's that pleasure we feel. That's also what the word means, that feeling of being in the present moment and letting go of the distractions and letting go of the craving. 
that is also what the word actually refers to is that feeling tone that we have in the experience of letting go. In the context of the Buddha's insight, we talked a lot about this at the retreat, so I'm going to just summarize it again, which I, I like to do. But the Buddha's insight was that suffering is caused by the reaction of the mind and the heart. In the Dharma, mind, heart are really one word, but mind and heart. And it's a reaction. It's a friction that comes together. The sensations arise and the mind reacts. And there's that friction that happens. And it's in that moment that we have this opportunity to either create negativity or to create positivity. And that's where suffering and freedom are concocted, so to speak, in this kind of cauldron, the space in between. And the challenge with the way that the heart and mind are designed, the app that gets downloaded originally with the software has a few, <laughs> has a few challenges with it. Um, and unfortunately, to update it, you have to do your own work. You can't just like, you can't plug it in and put it into Wi-Fi and you wake up in the morning. It's like, oh, it's upgraded and like we're all good to go. I've let go in the middle of the night because all I had to do was plug it in <laughs> next to my bed. So the, the challenge with this apparatus that we have in consciousness is that human beings have this inner passion, this agitated energy of desire for everything right? We just long and we crave and we fantasize. Like human beings, to be human beings, are filled with passion, right? The Buddha actually refers to that as lust too, like the, the passion for sensuality in the experience of living. And we all know what this is, right? It's not even something you need to have do any kind of science around. Like we all know that part of what it is to be a human being is to be to have this fire inside for life, for living, for consuming, for thirsting. And so there's this phrase that we have, tanha, which means thirst, uh, also means to feed, but we translate it as desire or craving. And the Buddha says craving, or this tanha, is the cause of suffering. And really what he's saying is that energy you have inside you, that aliveness, is going to cause a lot of sadness and sorrow and discontent. But, but it's like alive, right? It's passionate. It's electric. But he's also saying, yeah, that energy there, mm, it's going to cause a bunch of problems. So when you talk about renunciation, what we're really talking about is realizing that this passion that we have, this energy of life, is often directed towards consuming sense pleasures that leave us feeling unfulfilled. And that's where the app is not fully, the coding is off, right? Because we long for things that are going to make us feel at ease and feel content. Like no one wants to eat food and feel like they're still hungry, right? We want, we want to eat it so it feels good, right? We want to have the whatever it is, the caffeine or the sugar or the, the salt, the tea, whatever, whatever it is, whatever your uh, food craving is. We want to have the experience of being satiated at the end of the experience. So we have this dichotomy that arises in consciousness. One is this tanha, this thirst, this constant craving for everything out in the world. And then the Buddha throws in letting go of that, as the answer to happiness. That's just tough stuff, right? It's a, little, it's a little on the difficult side to really grasp that and be willing to even want to try it out to begin with. And so when we talk about letting go, I think it's important to remember that it's difficult to begin with because basically what the Buddha is saying is all this desire you have in there 
it's, it's messing you all up. <laughs> you got to let go. You got to like dampen this flame. You have to like look at all the sensual craving and clinging and longing and look how you're consuming and you want to cut that back and see, see what happens. You want to trade up for a higher form of happiness that would really satisfy the heart and really satisfy the mind. And so the challenge is not really the craving itself. And this was a big insight for me. Um, actually, I shouldn't say I had the insight. It was just told to me, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. Uh, it wasn't like I had an insight. Someone just told me the insight, and I have adopted it as my own. But the, the one insight that I thought was really helpful for um, understanding letting go and understanding desire was that the Buddha talks about it, it's not... It's not the longing or the desire itself that's so important to, to focus on letting go. It's the amount of time we spend fantasizing about getting the stuff, wanting the stuff, dreaming about what it's going to feel like to have the thing. The Buddha basically says, like, yes, we all have this passion inside us and this longing and this craving and this thirst, but do you ever notice how much time you daydream about the thirst and about the craving and about the things that we want. The amount of time we spend with the object of desire is far less than all the hours we spend longing for it and then gossiping about having gotten it and how fun it was to do the thing. So when we're letting go, one of the things we're really letting go of is all of that energy that's surrounding just the getting of the sense experience, whatever that sense experience is. And that's one thing we don't often consider, that the, the focus isn't as much, okay, I need to let go of my dependence on sense pleasures. There's a part of that that's there, of course, and we want to decrease the passion a little bit so we can have a sense of ease and well-being. But it's, it's also all the mumbo-jumbo that surrounds the desires. Like, because we're so passionate and because we thirst and long and we consume experience, we spend a heck of a lot of time planning for it. So much of our present moment is displaced by planning for another present moment that's down the road, whether it's some other event or later on today I'm going to do this. Now you've just spent a moment dreaming about a pleasure that like, and so we sacrifice a lot of our lived experience thinking about the next lived experience that we get. And oftentimes the amount of planning far outlives the amount of, you ever go on a, a trip or go on and to go to an event and the getting there and doing it and coming back feels a little bit more fatiguing than the actual experience and you come back having to recover from the whole experience of getting what you wanted or food might be one of those things where you're longing for some kind of treat of some and then you eat it and you don't feel so good and but you spent the whole day dreaming of the cupcake or whatever it was and then you get it and you're like oh yeah, I shouldn't yeah, that's not as good as all the fantasying so when we talk about letting go one of the things that we forget is that we're letting go of all of the planning and fantasizing and strategizing to get pleasure that doesn't fully satiate satiate and the desire itself the buddha talks about how there's healthy desire, desire for compassion, desire to be loving, desire to be ethical, desire to be present moment. Like there's skillful desires, those desires that are geared towards our practice, the desire to be generous and grateful. Those are all skillful desires. And you don't often sit around and fantasize about being grateful 
You know, we don't spend a lot of time planning it or charting it or like you're just you you be in these things and it really grounds you in present moment awareness. So when we talk about letting go, I usually just like to remind us like it's not the thing itself. We're not just checking off a list of things that we want to let go of. We're looking at all of the life experience that goes into being in a being that consumes and thirsts after experience this longing we have for experience and how much time it takes to plan and get those kind of things. So that's really what the Buddha is talking about underneath with letting go and renunciation. One of the main reasons that monastics are the way they are, meaning that they've given up, is so they don't have to plan and fantasize and prepare and spend all the time doing those things. It's not just like, sensual pleasures are bad like we don't want those they're not good we're not going to do anything that's like titillating in any way that's actually not what we're what we're saying when you see the monastics renounce part of what the freedom in letting go is they don't have to they're not going to have it so they don't have to even keep it in their mind they can have a mind that's clear and peaceful and serene because they're not spending that time working hard to then get the pleasure that feels like they just need more or whatever the case is (laughs) for me it's fantasizing about the next season of something coming out or the next episode of something. I was watching, what was I watching the other day? I was watching Silo, which is some new sci-fi thing that was on. And I didn't realize that, I didn't realize it was in motion. So I was watching them thinking the whole series was there. And then I got to, I got to an episode and I was like ready to go to the next one and there wasn't one available and I totally felt the sense of being let down. I was like, damn, I really wanted to see another. And I could feel the dis- there was total, dis- I mean, I wasn't crying about it, but like there was a sense of like, but I, I wanted that. I was in, and I was anticipating, I had already fantasized about watching it and it felt very unfair that I had kind of been tricked somehow to thinking it was coming next. And then when it didn't come on, like, what's going on? It's like, oh, it's like, oh, man, what am I going to do now? So it, those moments are the little subtle dukkha that we all experience in anticipating and planning and hoping. And then, oh, OK, I guess I don't get that. Like, that's what the Buddha's really asking us to let go of is that whole process of thirst, thirsting after tanha, that craving. Now, in the moment, I was able to not move from thirst to clinging, to grasping, and to holding tightly. But so many of the time, right, when we want something to happen and then it changes or it's not going to happen, we suddenly realize that it wasn't that we were just wanting it. We had sunk our teeth into it a little bit, and it's hard to let go. We're like, oh, wait, I'm actually attached to, to wanting this thing. And then to let go causes, like, discomfort, and so that's the second part of the, the challenge with letting go is that we've sunk our teeth into something and now we have to do this backpedaling. And the mind doesn't really like to do that. The heart doesn't like to give up that which it is clinging to. So two things. So just keep in mind that when we talk about letting go and we t- we're talking about letting go of desire ultimately, we're talking about all of the stuff wrapped around desire. And we're not just talking about the acts. We're also talking about that next step that happens after thirst, which is like that grasping and that clinging and that holding on, that holding on. If you want to understand what holding on looks like, you can go onto any social media platform and watch how people hold on to their views. 
And you can see them holding on and then taking the views they're holding on with and hitting other people with them in real time. Like, there's just a lot of like, I've got this view and it's so strong. And then the, the inability to let it go and the tension that it breeds between humans, right? You can see how we cling to things and how it hurts us so much and how hard it is to unwind that. I'll say for that. So a couple other things I wanted to say about renunciation and letting go. As I mentioned earlier when we were doing the guided practice, as much as I try to stay away from reducing the path down to a single idea, and I know I've said don't do that, but in this moment I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to do it. I'm going to break my own rule here. The entire path is an act of letting go. All the stuff on the path is different versions of letting go. And so I want to clarify this because this is where some other confusion comes up with the path. If you think about meditation, just the simplicity of meditation. So we come into the room and we sit on the cushion. Now, the choice we made, the intention to come here is an act of letting go. That's renunciation. Because what we chose to do was come to practice. So that's one of the most basic letting goes that we have in the Dharma is the choice to turn inward. It might not seem like a lot, but on this evening, on this day, we look around the room, all of us have chosen to spend this evening turning inward. That's a huge choice. Imagine if everyone on the planet was doing this in this evening, right? No harm done, no lying, no cheating, no stealing. Like, it's just a great opportunity for good behavior, mindfulness, compassion, generosity. So just that choice to walk into this room renunciation, letting go. We've just decided to, and we're not turning our back on the world, we're just turning inward, right? We're just like, I'm just going to turn inward. So every time we make the choice to go to the cushion, that's renunciation, right? There we have, boom, turning inward, letting go. And then we decide we're going to sit when we get to the cushion, or in some cases, think about the checklist of the day or wherever the mind goes at that time. But when we can get the mind to Uh, obey a little bit, then the next thing that we're doing where letting go is significant is that when you intend to be present, you are simultaneously intending to let go of distraction. Every time you bring your mind back to present moment sensations, that's an act of renunciation. That's an act of letting go. So it may not feel like you're giving up anything, right? You're just turning towards something. And I think it's helpful to realize when we choose to get onto the cushion or the chair or wherever, and then we choose to go inward, we've just engaged in two significant acts of letting go. But it doesn't feel like we're giving up anything, right? Because letting go isn't necessarily that stereotype of having to do this and then put it down. It is more just turning towards something. So sometimes letting go, because the term is a little weird, right? It's like, I feel like this goes back to, um, <laughs> maybe this is just me, but I feel like some of this, this might be just me as a therapist talking, tracing everything back to childhood, but I think that some of the letting go angst that we have is that when we grow up and we're asked to let go of things, we're rarely, when we're younger, when we're asked to let go of something, it's an act of pleasure for us. 
right? Like you need to let go of time with your friends and you let go of your video game controller and you can't do, like letting go kind of historically is something that's like, yeah, I don't think I want to. Like, so we don't come into the world with the sense that letting go is this fun thing. There's a sense of absence in it. But really, letting go is a turning towards something, right? The letting go is an act of being with, not being without. And so that can be helpful when we think of renunciation. It's like renunciation is a choice to be with something. First of all, yourself. Like that's the first act is like, I'm going to choose to be in Sangha. I'm going to choose to be with my own heart and mind. Does anyone here this evening feel like you've given up or that you've turned away from something in some way and you're longing to, longing you're likely at the clock? It's like, it's like, oh, wow, we've turned towards something. But here we are letting go. This is the letting go because our hearts are being turned towards something. So that's another thing to consider with renunciation and letting go is that it's a turning towards and a being with, not necessarily a giving up or dropping something that's precious, right? Another thing that happens in meditation, which I think is important, is most of the time, if you think of how we live in the world, and as soon as we walk out these doors, we have to account for so many things. And so we spend our days trying to control the environment around us, right? We have to pay attention. We have to drive in a particular way and watch out for people, and we have to look at our finances, and we have to get to places on time, and we need to do all of those things that we do that are pretty regimented, that require a certain amount of energy. And a lot of it has to do with keeping tabs on things, like what's going on here, and what's going on there, and this needs to go here. And, and for those who are still working or having to do complex projects, you know how that goes. It's like, oh, I got to think about this and control that and account for this. So much of our daily activity has to do with controlling and keeping a tension in our environment. So when we sit on the cushion, one of the big things that we don't realize we're letting go of is control. We're just plopping. To thank Robert Beattie for his term plopping into presence, right? What we're really doing is letting go of control. It's like for these 30 minutes, just going to be here. No checklists, no, no need to be somebody or be good at something or any of those type of ego-oriented activities. We let go of that need to control everything around us, and we just plop into what is so. Here's the truth of the moment. Just as it is, I don't need to make it into something. I mean, how many moments in our day, unless we're actively practicing mindfulness, do we get to really do that, right? To be able to plop into just the truth of the situation without needing to do anything to it or to be anybody around it. So that's another thing when we think of renunciation. We don't think of that really when we're sitting, like the, pri the privilege and the pleasure of just, oh my gosh, I can just be here for a moment and feel my breath. How cool. So letting go of control. The mind is always grasping and clinging and thirsting after certainty, taking a Nietzsche and trying to make it into something, right? And here we have an opportunity just to be. So control is another thing that we really let go of, and we often don't even think about that uh, when we're doing meditation. One other thing I'll say about the, the benefits of, of meditation as a moving towards versus a moving away. 
the Buddha never expected us just to let go of sensual pleasures. <laughs> he was smart enough to know in his own experience how hard it was, for one. But he never expected us to do it without it being replaced by something pleasurable. Because the Buddha understood that human beings have a thirst, like we have a desire for some type of pleasure. So it's important to remember that when we let go of the world, when we turn towards being with what is so in the present moment, that that continuity of mindfulness eventually leads to pleasure within. That It will lead to pleasure. So no matter what you're experiencing now in your meditation moment to moment, if you continue to practice mindfulness, the presence that develops is pleasurable to the heart and mind. It creates pleasure. So that initial turning towards oneself and toward, turning towards the present moment leads to pleasure. You get tranquility and joy and the joy of compassion and generosity. These things will bubble up in your practice as practice goes on. So the present moment is actually joyful. Not in the beginning, of course, because the mind's like, what am I doing? I don't want to do this. But as soon as it starts, as soon as it stops fighting it and stops running off with the hindrances every five seconds and can just taste the pleasure of presence, you start to realize, oh, wait, just being here is actually very nice. Like there's something satiating about not having to go anywhere, do anything, be anything. So the idea of letting go, you're never letting go with a sense of lack. It's not designed to feel this sense of giving up. It's designed to have a sense of turning towards. And the pleasure of presence ultimately will be fruitful for you in the end if you just continue to practice. There's pleasant sensations that arise, which is why in the jhanas, which are the concentration states that come from continuity of mindfulness over time, the Buddha referred to it as the fruit of the gods. And he said that this is the fruit of your practice. That present moment awareness will give you some bliss. That present moment awareness will make you feel connected to yourself and connected to others. And that sense of interconnectedness will expand. So there is pleasure in the practice, right? The end of the, the path is happiness. We're not doing this to prove that we can sit without doing things. We're not, oh my God, look, I had four breaths and I was totally mindful. It's like, we're not, it isn't a competition to see how good we are meditating or how many things we can give up. Like, it's about turning towards the present moment and seeing, wow, there really is something that is a higher level of happiness for me. And that it's not a sacrifice at all in the end. It's really just turning towards the bliss of living and being. So I just wanted to bring that into the, the room. It came up on retreat. And uh, one other thing I'll say is that, again, with this idea of, of letting go, I'll just touch on this just briefly, and then we'll have a little time for discussion. It's important to remember that meditation, though it feels passive in our experience, it actually creates, the pre it's engaging and creating the present moment. So... Letting go is an active moment in our in experience. And so just to remind you that there are three ways that the Buddha asks us to fabricate our experience. Changing the way our body is, how we sit, how we breathe, changing how we breathe and notice how that feels. So it's our body. We can fabricate experience by the way we sit, stand, walk, lie down, how we breathe. We can fabricate experience by the way we think about ourselves and think about the world. And we can fabricate our experience through the imaginings that we have, the dreams, the fantasies, the aspirational part of the mind. And so 
When you think of that, sometimes letting go actually means thinking about something differently. Sometimes letting go means wishing someone well. Sometimes letting go means an act of generosity in some way, right? Sometimes letting go just means going easy on yourself. Like, so when we look at letting go, it's helpful to look at it as active. It's a very active process. It's not a backpedaling that we usually think of like, sometimes letting go is this, right? But like with a sense of connectivity and generosity. So sometimes it's a, it's a more forward movement than we think rather than a backward movement, which is sometimes I think how we connote it. So, well, thanks for your kind attention. I'll close with a quote. I had one of these quotes from the Buddha. I'll see if I actually put it in here somewhere. Let's see here. I did. All right. This is from the Dhammapada. The Buddha says in verse 290, if by forsaking a limited ease, the meditator would see an abundance of ease, then the enlightened person would forsake the limited ease for the sake of the abundant. It's all about abundance in the end, right? If by forsaking or giving up a limited ease, the meditator would see an abundance of ease, the enlightened person would forsake the limited ease for the sake of the abundant. And with mindfulness, the idea is to be able to practice enough to see the abundance that comes with the letting go. And so in the beginning of our practice, so much of the practice is not seeing the abundance. So we're kind of like running away with the hindrances and the distractions because we don't see the abundance that's right there under the surface in the present moment. And so with practice, the more we see that there's abundance there, the easier the mind's like, well, I don't want to go hang out with the hindrances. If there's abundance here, then I'm just going to chill here then. And eventually it starts to like enjoy and can see the abundance. But of course, the whole practice again is uncovering the abundance beneath that desire. And desire is such a frenetic I think it's so interesting, I know it's metaphorical for the times that the Buddha would call, that the word used for desire would be thirst, but it speaks to consumption, like human beings are feeding constantly on experience, right? We're consumers, we consume everything, we consume emotional experience, right? We sensual experience, we're constantly consuming and taking in these experiences, and that experience is agitating on a some level of the body this contact and consumption of the sensual world is very agitating. And because it's so agitating, we can't see the abundance underneath. It's not clear to us in the beginning of practice, right? First time you go into meditation to be with the breath, you're not welcomed with abundance. <laughs> what you're welcomed with is the mind is over here and thinking, about, it's like, you're like, what is going on in there? It's like, that's what's going on all the time. That agitated consciousness lives with you every moment of your day, it's being driven by craving, aversion, craving, aversion. And we don't see it, but in meditation, the first thing you see is not the fireworks, but is the chaos of the, of the inner world. In, uh, on Goenka's 10-day retreat, he's got this great, uh, I can't do it justice because he's so funny the way he teaches, but he, ta he talks about how um, his 10-day retreats are for beginners, essentially. So you all come into this retreat, and most people haven't sat before. And um, 
he makes this comment. He's like, you know, really look at your mind and do you see how chaotic it is? Do you see how out of control like your mind really is? And then he says, now just so you know, everyone out in the world has that same thing going on in their consciousness, including people in positions of power. And you know, the people out there doing the things, their minds are filled with hindrances. There's so much agitation and that's what's running everything. And so then of course you're like, terrified, but uh, <laughs> you're like, oh, we're doomed. <laughs> or you, you, get, you, know, you get serious about practice at that point, and you're like, okay, we've got to get this taken care of. Anyway, thanks for your kind attention. <sighs> Thank you so much for the generosity of your presence this evening. It's so nice to see you. have such a full house on a warm night. Everyone's here. This is great. So cool. So many folks online. <sighs> nice to be with you again. Thanks so much for coming. Let us engage in the act of generosity of loving kindness, letting go into presence again. Take a few intentional breaths, mindful breaths. And see if you can breathe in a way in this moment that can bring some actual pleasure to the body. Maybe some short breaths, maybe some long breaths. Just ask yourself in this moment, what kind of breathing would relax the body and ease the mind? See if you can notice in the body any place in the body where there might be some light sensations, some tingling, some flowing of energy. See if you can find some actual pleasant sensations in the body, either as the body or as mood. And see if you can bring some awareness to any pleasure that might be in this moment waiting there for you. And with a gentle intention, see if you can allow that pleasure to spread. Imagine your body as a vessel for pleasant sensations and ease and relaxation, and just allow some pleasantness to arise and flow into the body with each breath. Remaining attuned to those pleasant sensations, attuned to the physical form of the body, the in and out breath, the pleasure of this present moment. Let us wish well for all beings by answering this question. In this moment, if I could wish anything for all beings and know that wish would come to pass, what might that wish be? 
offer that gift of goodwill to all beings. May all beings know true love, true kindness, and compassion in this very lifetime. May all beings be free from suffering. friends for such a nice evening thanks for joining us here at wednesday wake up we honor the traditional buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge so this podcast will always be ad free and will never be behind a paywall this podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners if you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it you can support gregory as a teacher by going to our website www.wednesdaywakeup.com and click on donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.